Coming up on Stu Does America, you're not going to believe the insane way Democrats are going to pick the winner in Nevada this weekend. Pure chaos is ahead. It's going to be so much fun. Dan Andros and Jason Howerton join us to talk about issues that are definitely going to get them both canceled. And we tell you what daughter of a very famous family is aiming high for her future with a glamorous career in porn. Woo! Before we start, remember to click subscribe on your podcast app, rate and review the podcast, uh, include the phrase, it's great, whatever. I beg to be judged by you. Click the bell on YouTube for notifications or simply subscribe at blazetv.com slash stew uh, for access to all of Blaze TV. Use the promo code stew because that's how they know that you like this stupid show. And you save 10 bucks as well. You're going to need that 10 bucks to pay for Bernie Sanders' brand new program, Vacation Camps for All. Stew does America. Mm, lots of fireworks last night at the debate, huh? But there was one clip that no one is talking about, and I thought was honestly, by far, the best moment of the entire debate. For all of us at NBC News, I'm Lester Holt. Good day. <laughs> Wasn't that incredible? Finally, something we can all come together on to celebrate in the world of politics. It's like you spend two hours lining up that chair, fashioning that news, and it finally comes the moment where everything goes dark and you experience the glorious silence of sweet, sweet relief. Unfortunately, you might soon feel the searing heat of the fires of hell, but after watching the Democrats debate, you might still see that as an improvement. At least it's better than Medicare for all. We know that. We heard a nonstop barrage of horrible proposals mixed with billionaire bashing from the rest of the salt of the earth, regular people, middle class millionaires on stage. There's one idea that a good chunk of the field has supported going all the way back to the beginning of this national nightmare. Let's pick our president by counting up all the ballots and giving it to the woman or man who got the most votes. It is hard to defend a system in which we have a president who lost the popular vote by three million votes. So the answer is yes. My view is that every vote matters. Mm. And the way we can make that happen... is that we can have national voting, and that means get rid of the electoral college and everybody. I mean, Elizabeth Warren almost looks too natural, doesn't she? Look, I want you to know this is just an issue of fairness and democracy or something. It's got nothing to do with the Democrats winning the popular vote and losing the Electoral College two of the last five elections. That's just a coincidence. I could give you an extended argument as to why we need the Electoral College, though I'm not sure I could do better than the PragerU video that's already been seen four million times. So I'd rather focus kind of on the nonstop hypocrisy and chaos of the Democratic Party. It just sounds like a lot more fun. It's like I could do my taxes and not file my 23rd straight extension, but there's a new episode of McMillions that I need to watch. I could go to the gym, but if that was supposed to happen, why would they have built a Taco Bell so close to the entrance? And by close, it's within a 7.3 mile radius. Democrats say we need a national popular vote because fairness. But pulling that off is like Bernie Sanders walking up three flights of stairs. It's, you know, it's really difficult, doesn't look pretty, and it probably ends in the fruitless death of the entire campaign. 
You could either amend the Constitution like they're supposed to, or you could just go around it with a national popular vote interstate compact. I'll let you guess which one they're actually attempting. Problem is, they'd need to get a bunch of Republicans on board either way, and that's probably not going to happen. If only they had complete and total control over the process so they could implement whatever system they wanted. A dictatorship would make everything so easy, wouldn't it? Well, here's the thing. They do have total and complete control. They can implement any system they want when it comes to their primary. How the Democrats pick their nominee is 100% the choice of the Democratic Party. Yet do they have a national popular vote? Of course they don't. In fact, they have implemented a system so complicated, it makes the Electoral College look like electoral pre-K. They want all of us to exist under a national popular vote, but they have cobbled together an impossibly complicated system of individual primaries and caucuses, including superdelegates and statewide delegate equivalents and complicated viability calculations. Oh, it's so sexy. You know, it's so weird, though. They say they want every vote to count, yet they can't even count their own votes. The apps they've created to tabulate everything make the launch of the Obamacare website look like a futuristic technological masterpiece. And even if all of their Palm Pilots worked and they were able to communicate correctly and directly with their network of TRS 80s, none of it would actually make any sense. First of all, does every vote count? I mean, no. And that's by design for the Democrats. If your candidate doesn't get 15 percent of the vote, they get nothing. No delegates at all. The system all but guarantees a massive chunks of Democratic votes are just tossed in the garbage settling in the disgusting depths of a dumpster next to the future political career of Beto O'Rourke. Let's give you a simply oversimplified, super oversimplified, because I don't have a month to tell you about it, example based on a recent poll in Nevada. Now, this poll showed that Bernie Sanders was in the lead with 24 percent, Joe Biden at 19 percent, Steyer at 18 percent. And a side note on Steyer, by the way, the guy is basically tied for second in the state and they wouldn't let him on the debate stage. But they let Bloomberg in, who isn't even on the ballot. By the way, today, Bloomberg is wishing he didn't show up. Buttigieg is at 13% in this poll, Warren at 10%, and Klobuchar at 7%. Now, Nevada has 36 delegates to hand out. Again, it's a caucus state, and it's by district, and the rules are different than a simple calculation, because of course it is. But if this poll played out pretty much the way uh, it looks in, uh, uh, in the results there, Sanders would get 14 delegates, Biden and Steyer would get 11 and everyone else would get a big fat zilch. That means close to 40 percent of voters combined to get nothing from the every vote must count crew. However, if Buttigieg could just get a couple of percent more and and get to that 15 percent viability uh, uh, guideline there, the whole thing changes. Sanders gets 11 delegates. Biden and Steyer get nine. And then Buttigieg gets seven. And then everyone else is zero. Again, it's way, way more complicated than this. But a few more votes from Buttigieg, he goes from losing by 14 delegates to only losing by four. Hey, guys, a national popular vote would get rid of all this craziness and nonsense. Didn't you know that? Another big anti-electoral college argument from Democrats is that whoever gets the most votes should win. You heard Bernie Sanders make that argument just a moment ago. However, their own rules guarantee that unless you get more than 50 percent of the total delegates, you can't just win, even if you lead by a wide margin. Instead, you have to slog it out in an internal party battle at a contested convention because democracy, I I think. 
Then you're dealing with superdelegates, party insiders, and friendly gentlemen in Uncle Sam hats. Of course, all of this assumes they can figure out, you know, the delegates in the first place. A New York Times investigation of Iowa results just found incompetence on the level of a Star Wars prequel. 21 precincts had candidates receive delegates despite not having enough supporters to do so. Eight precincts gave too many delegates away. And like fat-fingered Homer Simpson in a moo, over 100 precincts just typed the data incorrectly. When they did manage to type everything in right, poll workers often had no idea what to do with it. From the New York Times, uh, the caucus math worksheet, which caucus volunteers use to record votes, does not offer instructions for every scenario. And volunteers must consult a handbook for advice on the less common ones. Moreover, the handbook does not appear to cover every potential situation. Oopsie! So what happens if they couldn't figure it out? Gets a tie or something? Well, they flip a coin. Yeah, they're handing out delegates based on coin flips in Iowa. Now, after that disaster, you'll be very happy to hear there are no coin flips in Nevada. They have another idea. And I got to say, we're about to venture into the terrifying world of this can't possibly be real, can it? Can it? I'd like to assure you, before we go any further, that yes, yes, it can. It is very real. Let me set the scene with a short clip from an excellent documentary. Give me 20 bucks. War. You know, Russ and I play this all the time. I'm in. There we go. All right. Oh, that's fast. Give me another 2080. War, bet again. Yeah. You know, Clark, maybe you ought to spread it around a little bit, you know, not have all your fun at just one table. <laughs> Poor cousin Eddie Griswold gives Clark his last bit of cash and he immediately blows half of it playing war. Will things ever go his way? Sad story. The Shakespearean tragedy of cousin Eddie aside, do you remember this card game, War? Two players draw a card, whichever card is higher wins. It's pretty much it. Simple, fun, and an easy way to lose a couple hundred bucks if you're a Griswold. And that's just fine for the generic unnamed casino in the movie. You know where that's not fine? When selecting the potential leader of the free world. What I'm about to tell you is real. I am not kidding. This is going to happen this weekend. Are you ready? When they have a tie for a delegate, they play freaking war. Seriously. This is direct from the Nevada State Democratic Party's Delegate Count Scenarios and Tiebreakers Caucus Memo. Unreal. In these very limited circumstances where two or more presidential preference groups are tied for a loss or gain of a delegate, groups must draw a single card from a deck of cards to break the tie. The high card determines the winner and aces are high. You might think, well, what? What if they don't happen to have a freaking deck of cards laying around? Well, don't worry. The Nevada State Democratic Party is providing an unopened deck of cards to all precinct locations. Think about this if you're a Democratic donor. You could have, you know, given like this giant donation to the party, and the donation probably won't even cover the decks of cards they're passing out around the state. Listen to these idiotic rules. The deck of cards should be shuffled by a precinct chair or site lead at least seven times before use. Oh yes, sure, 
You could shuffle it 96 times if you desire, but don't you dare. Not a very good shuffler. Don't you dare shuffle six times or less. Damn you. And if you're like me, you're thinking, oh, wait a minute, I've caught you in something. What happens if there's a tie? Like Biden pulls a seven of, let's see, diamonds. Oh, no, it's a six of diamonds. Seven of diamonds. Here we go. Seven of diamonds, right? Let's say that's Biden, right? And then Buttigieg comes up with a seven of spades. Here we go. Okay. What happens then? Well, the Democratic Party has figured that all out for you. In evaluating the high card amongst cars of the same rank, the card suit, the card suit will control the outcome from highest to lowest spades, hearts, diamonds, clubs. This is real. I swear they even included freaking pictures. Look at this. Due to tiebreaker rules, candidate D will, will keep the additional delegate. Candidate C will lose their additional delegates. If two candidates draw the ranked card, the tiebreaker is then determined by the suit of the card. This is real. Guys, they're deciding elections based on a game of cards. These people want to control your health care. What organ should we remove? Uh, is it the, the, the pancreas or the spleen? Hold on. Let me pick a... Uh, oh! Oh, it's a jack of hearts. That means it's the spleen. Which one is the spleen again? If you're a Democratic voter and you're planning to walk into the caucus this weekend, remember, you can still change parties and you can keep your spleen. Who does America? You know, it's always important to encourage your children to aim high and reach for the stars. And you know what? You might not reach the stars, but at least you'll land on your feet. Am I right on that? Am I right on that, guys? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, so that's why we're very happy to bring news to you of Steven Spielberg's daughter. Uh, her name is Michaela, and she is going for a brand new license to be a porn star. Yay! What a wonderful path. And you know what? We can't judge your path. Your path is perfect. Everything you've ever done is perfect. And everything's okay. No matter what choice you make, it's great. It's great. Just like Tony the Tiger would say in his uh, most recent adult film. This is a very disturbing story, of course. Um, and it's, I guess this is daughter, Michaela. Uh, he had adopted her uh, quite a long time ago. She's 23 years old. Uh, and she has some very intriguing quotes um, that I wanted to bring to you. She says, uh, why is she doing this? Well, she got really tired of not being able to capitalize on my body. And frankly, I got really tired of being told to hate my body. Not sure who's telling her to hate her body, but apparently somebody was. She says, also, uh, I got tired of working day to day in a way that wasn't satisfying my soul. And, you know, I think we can all come together and say the best way to satisfy your soul is porn. It's the, number, it's the number one answer if you're on Family Feud. It would be porn. Uh, she goes on to say, Michaela uh, is a pursuing her sex worker license in the state of Tennessee. This is a positive, empowering choice, she says. <sighs> Part of Michaela's motivation is to honor her body. And I think we could all tell right away, like, what's the probable motivation here? Probably to honor her body, right? You'd think that's it. And, but there's actually more to the story. But the key is that this is a lucrative pursuit. <laughs> My main hope is just that I get somewhere lucrative enough where I'm not tied down financially by things. 
Um, your last name's Spielberg? I don't think you're tied down by anything financially. It seems like just the money from the Reese's Pieces in E.T. is probably going to take care of you for the rest of your life. Uh, but she's going to be in... And I, I think this is wrong, but many people have suggested um, potential film titles. I, I'm just going to give them to you because it's, it's right here in the article or it's written on the side of this article. Uh, E.T. Don't laugh. E.T. and A. Uh, I mean, Indiana Bones is just, I mean, shaving Ryan's privates is totally inappropriate. Uh, and there was a Democrat who wrote in, uh, Schindler's Lust. That's, that's not one to, that's just terrible, by the way. Um, I wanted to, I I don't know who's having a worse day, uh, Steven Spielberg or Michael Bloomberg. One of the Bergs had a really bad day, um, and they both did kind of. Uh, in the debate last night, Bloomberg uh, blasts uh, you know, all of his opponents the entire time, but then just gets ripped to shreds on the non-disclosure agreements because of the several dozen women who have accused him of sexual harassment of some sort. No, no touching, it seems like, was his big defense, but it was just a bunch of jokes. But here's Liz Warren lighting him up. We have a very few... Non-disclosure agreements. How, how many Let is Let me that? finish. How many is that? None of them accuse me of doing anything other than maybe they didn't like the joke I told. And let me just put, and let me put, there's a be, agreements between two parties that wanted to keep it quiet, and that's up to them. They signed those agreements, so, and we'll live with it. So wait, when you say it is up to, I just want to be clear. Some is how many? <laughs> When you and when you say they signed them and they wanted them, if they wish now to speak out and tell their side of the story about what it is they allege, that's now okay with you. You're releasing them on television tonight, Senator. No. Is that right? Senator, 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 the company and somebody else, in this case, a man or a woman, or could be more than that, they decided when they made an agreement that they wanted to keep it quiet <laughs> for everybody's no. interest. They signed the agreements, and that's what we're going to live I'm with. I'm sorry. No, the question is, are I the women bound by being muzzled by you? Oh, I forgot about the part in there where he tries to be super woke. It says man or a woman, or it could be more than that. What? This is not the time to try to make the, uh, the, the T argument of the LGBT situation. Um, what's fascinating here is Bloomberg was not prepared for that question. Everyone on earth knew it was coming, and he had nothing to go to. Um, you know, it's pretty easy to tell Elizabeth Warren, and I think it's obviously, and look, it's true. Um, the legal process does not play out on stage in front of millions of people. You have a legal document, and that is not something that you're going to be able to negotiate with one party present and a million people watching. That's not how you negotiate these things. Liz Warren wants to use this for her own political gain, so she's coming out here and taking their story, these women who believe something terrible has happened to them, uh, they're going to use their, uh, their story for her benefit. And that, that is a pathetic thing that only someone uh, as awful as Liz Warren would do. Of course, Michael Bloomberg, also horrifically awful and could not even come up with an actual answer to the question, uh, which is incredible just because you'd think he'd be prepared for it. Uh, He was not. And this shows how he's not really that great of a candidate. I mean, he's up at 16 and 17 percent, but this sort of thing was was really ugly for him. Um, I don't know if he's going to be able to put this back together. 
Part of me thinks the whole thing's going to get a little bit overblown, though, where at the end of the day, you know, not everyone's watching this debate. Maybe they get wind of the situation. But he did have a couple of good moments as well uh, when he was wrecking Sanders on, uh, you know, his houses and everything else. So I think end of the day, Bloomberg probably can deal with this performance as bad as it was. He's still got another week, a bunch of news cycles to come before he's even on a ballot. Uh, and that money can only carry, uh, carry you so far. It, it can't make you likable. It doesn't. It, there's not enough money, surgery, magic. There's just no way to make Michael Bloomberg likable. It's never going to occur. And I think uh, if the Democratic voters nominate the guy, they're going to find that out in a, in a serious way. Back in a second. Dan Andros is the managing editor of FaithWire.com, which, if you're not familiar with it, I highly recommend checking it out. Dan is also the founder and director of the Center for Hair Equality and Justice for the Follically Challenge, or This I'm not exactly, exactly sure how to pronounce it, but it's very catchy. And he's also a member. Dan, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you so much. And yeah, thank you very much for pointing out the the important work we do, <laughs> you know, to raise awareness for, I guess, whatever the social justice buzzwords would be for that issue. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, hair privilege. Mm-hmm. You know, we're trying to get hair equality out there, mm-hmm. uh, you know, so that there's affirming, you know, there's affirming sort of uh, roles in, yeah. in society, you know, where, where, where people like me are featured, Stu, where I don't feel like I'm being harmed and and uh, oppressed by, you know, ha- the hair privilege like you. Right. And you guys still using the hashtag bald lives matter? Uh, yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. That Very was good. just coming off our successful campaign at the Oscars, <laughs> which was a uh, hashtag Oscars. So hairy. So, <laughs> well, you know, they didn't get to any of your issues in the debate last night. I was very surprised about that. But they did get to uh, Michael Bloomberg, uh, who finally makes the debate stage. It was more like a he crashed into it like an iceberg, I would say, is more more appropriate uh, <laughs> a description. However, he did have a couple of good moments here. Let's let's give you one of these. This is uh, him talking, going back and forth with Bernie Sanders on socialism and wealth. Mayor Bloomberg, would government you like to make that work for all? What a wonderful country we have. The best-known socialist in the country happens to be a millionaire with three houses. What I miss here? Well, you'll miss that I work in Washington, House 1. That's the first problem. Live in Burlington, House 2. That's good. And like thousands of other Vermonters, I do have a summer camp. Forgive me for that. Where is your home? Which tax tax haven do you have your home? New York City, thank you very much. And I pay all my taxes. It's like an in-debate face plant there by Bernie Sanders. Yeah. I mean, maybe he thought he was going to get away with it just by being mad. He's like, yeah, so what? I got a home in D.C. and one in Burlington and I got a summer camp. Who doesn't have a summer camp? (laughs) And what tax haven are you in? And he lists. I mean, it couldn't have backfired more. I mean, he says New York City. That's literally the worst place to be for taxes. Yeah. I'm I'm just glad he didn't go to re-education camp because I thought that was very possible (laughs) coming from a socialist. Uh, you know, it's funny because it was a it was a debate where I think Bloomberg was really bad at the beginning. Um, and yeah. his second half was actually not quite as bad. He sort of he did warm up after a while. Sanders, you know, enters and I think exits as the front runner. But what I, what I found fascinating, it's such a difference from Republican uh, debates is where you see this thing when Republicans are on stage, they are forced in front of the entire country to um, parse every little detail of, let's say, the life issue. Where like, well, what happens if, gosh, forbid someone gets raped or there's incest or there's all these these very delicate lines they have to sit there and parse with you on their pro-life position. Did abortion even come up last night? 
let alone them having to parse a nine month, uh, uh, you know, green light for abortion? Uh, no, it didn't come up at all. And like, you know, thankfully I didn't have to suffer through the whole thing. So, um, I only watched bits and pieces and I'm glad Bloomberg had a good line, by the way, because judging by Twitter, I thought, I thought he had been literally murdered uh, <laughs> by the performance that he had. Yes. Uh, that's how bad it was on Twitter, but that was a good line right there from him. But, um, but yeah, no, I, I searched the, the transcript, looked for clips. I didn't see anything. There was not one word, uh, mentioned about abortion at all. And, uh, you know, I, I happen to think there's a pretty good reason for that. And um, I would put most of the blame on the moderators because they're the ones that have to, you know, guide the conversation. So uh, I put the blame on the moderators, but I think there's a good reason uh, why they, they didn't they didn't bring it up. And it's because their view on abortion as a platform is so out of touch with mainstream America. Yeah, it really is extreme. I mean, you know, you talk about third trimester abortions, bring this stat up all the time because it's almost unbelievable the way the media feels. But over well over 80 percent of Americans think it should be illegal. OK, yeah. two thirds of Americans believe that second trimester abortion should be illegal. I mean, the mainstream opinion on on uh, on uh, pro-life versus pro-choice it's pretty split when you say it should le- exist at all, but almost all the support for pro-choice is that first trimester. And the Democrats are trying to come up with a campaign uh, and a platform where they're they're defending it right up to birth and sometimes eh, maybe a little bit later. Yeah, they don't have the they don't have the moral, uh, you know, courage to sit there like Pete Buttigieg is like, well, after birth, I don't know. I, I'm just going to let the woman decide on that. <laughs> like that's progressives don't let people decide anything individually. <laughs> so what do you, this is the thing you're going to defer on. Um, But it's really interesting, Stu, because uh, when you look at the Democratic Party like this was I mean, they're the party that came up with the safe, legal and rare thing. Mm. And, um, you know, Clinton and I guess 92 ish it was, you know, we all are familiar with that term, but it sort of, you know, vanished uh, at some point along the line. And and when you look back at the campaigns, um, which, by the way, first of all, safe, legal and rare is a is a hilariously Clinton-esque term, because what he was able to do was uh, create a term that lets you be completely, you know, for abortion. Or completely against legal abortion. You could you could pick either one, <laughs> and uh, that phrase completely you know and you know enveloped it's, it. So it's a, it's a wonderful you know. linguistic trick. I mean, just the term yeah. pro-choice is one of the most amazing right. pieces yeah. of, of 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 the English language being manipulated in modern history. Yeah. Um, so, but that kind of stuck around with them because it was politically convenient. Um, but now, as we see science, you know, kind of making it more and more clear, you know, you're seeing like detecting the heartbeats earlier. You're seeing that the, that people, that, that babies can feel fetal pain in the womb. Mm. Um, all of these things are pointing towards it being an actually a human life. Um, and so they're kind of wrestling with that question and it, you know, kind of puts them to a fork in the road, right? Of, um, if it's just a clump of cells, then why does it have to be rare? So I think over the years they were starting to see like, okay, these two things don't line up. If this is really just a clump of cells, like, why are we saying it has to be rare? So you kind of watching the science, you got to pick one or the other. Is is the science leading us towards this as a human or are we going to just double down on it's a clump of cells? And I think we're seeing what they've chosen, which is it's time to double down on a clump of cells. But um, it's taken some time, though. If you look at Hillary Clinton in uh, in her 08 campaign, um, she still said the safe, legal and rare thing when it came to the life issue. Mm. Um, Obama in 2009 was talking about the need to you know have less abortions, even though he was still you know, pro-choice. But then in 2012, the Democratic Party took the rare part out of their of their um, party platform, the official platform, and they changed the wording to this to safe legal abortion, regardless of ability to pay. Um, So that's what they switched it to in 2012. And then when 2016 Mm. came around, 
the rare thing was gone. Yeah, and and you saw Andrew Yang get beat up about this issue when he said, "I thought I don't, you know, I'm for my pro-choice, but I do, I think it's a really bad thing. I think it's a tragedy." He's basically booed yeah. off a of stage. We've got about 90 seconds left here, Dan. I know at Faithwire, you guys have found some really extreme examples of where this is going in the future. Can you walk us through a couple of those? Yeah. Um, well, we've seen a couple things now because the the left is very much afraid at what the right is doing. You know, with these states that are enacting stricter abortion laws, uh, you're seeing pop up, and so. Uh, Vice just published a step-by-step do-it-yourself abortion guide, Ah. um, which kind of takes you through it because they're like, oh, the Republicans are going to take it away. So there's that. Um, Another progressive outlet, um, they did the same thing, a how-to guide for abortions. And and really the goal, Stu, is in the same, the wording is the same in all of them. It's to destigmatize abortion. We're seeing that with Shout Your Abortion. Mm -hmm. Um, so that, I mean, that's the direction this is going is where they're really doubling down on trying to make this a completely normal thing. That's just no big deal. Come on in, get your abortion. Don't feel any shame about it whatsoever. And, um, you know, that's, I think a result of the safe, legal and rare thing. They've just completely abandoned that in a, in a weird way. I hate to say it this way, but in a weird way, it's more honest. I mean, they're at least being honest yeah. about what's going on here yeah. at this point. Why would we bother trying to make it rare if it didn't matter whatsoever? Uh, Dan Andros, uh, the website is faithwire.com. You know, all the you know best faith stories that are kind of going on during the day and, and covering all this uh, up close and personal every single day. Uh, go check out the site. Dan, thanks for joining us. All right, thanks. All right, we'll be back in just a moment with a very bizarre story. Uh, you're not going to want to miss this next one. Jason Howerton is Director of Engagement, Director of Social Media, Captain of Fun for Blaze Media, and he's also the author of the new book, Me and My Cats, 42 Hilarious Tales of a Man and His Years Spent Living with a Colony of Cats. That's a, how was that, by the way? Was it, is this, is it as good as you what expected? Is, what is this? Okay, so this is, what, this is how you introduce guests and well, make I, them feel comfortable? I, I think like showing people that they, maybe they have even more life accomplishments than they, they do it gives his people a sense of uh, of comfort when they come here. It also, it also really loosens up the guest. <laughs> yeah. Good. And now you have to go write the book, okay, which great. I mean is, is good for you and good for the cats. Mm-hmm. Let's be honest about it. Uh, you're here today to talk about other than just to talk about your cat book. Um, you're here to to talk about something that I think is fascinating in our culture because it is um, it's something that is like overcoming basically every conversation that happens. Um, in uh, everything from politics to culture. And it's basically this expanded LGBTQIA2+, probably a bunch of other letters. You missed a bunch. I That's a, a big no-no. That's a big no-no. First of all, I've made the huge mistake. I'm canceled already yes. in this interview. You haven't even started. Um, <laughs> it's true. And I think like this all starts right with, with good intentions. It's, it's people who, hey, look, other people are different. They have different thoughts and, and different vibes and, and different preferences and all those things. Um, and we want to be nice to them and we want them to be comfortable, just like just like when you introduce someone with a cat book. You want them to feel comfortable about it. It gets out of control, though, because it winds up being just another bludgeon to hit your opponents uh, with when they make mistakes on these grounds. And as this stuff all started, I remember thinking to myself, you know, one place who is really going to make a difference is the world of sports. Because people will inherently understand how ridiculous it is when a guy says he's a woman and decides to go play in women's sports and dominates. 
And we've seen some of that happen. It doesn't seem to be slowing the momentum at all, though. No, and it, I think the pendulum has swung so hard and so fast. Um, and, and the left has become so aggressive with this issue because I specifically they've made people so afraid to talk about it. Yeah. So it's kind of like it feels like a winning issue for them because they can go on basically any network your news and, and speak about this issue and not get any pushback or any actual questions and, and any critical thought about, wait a minute, let's talk about this for a second. So there's identity and there's biology. Can we like, part of that is like we can debate and we can talk about the other part is pretty set. Like we, we have it in the science books of, of what it means to be male and female biologically. Right? So the fact that we've now crossed over into, to something where, the competition between a man and a woman is so it's it's bizarre to think about like it's something we've always understood like men are faster men are stronger men are it just is what it is yeah i mean throughout history where the the hunters the gatherers like just bigger bones 50 percent you know two times the bone density all that stuff more uh, lean muscle mass um in fact, um, this, this is interesting. I was, I was reading this today. I just wanted to, 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 to put it into perspective how much more athletically inclined men are than women, just because I get some people argue like... Yeah, there's always the pushback. They say, no, well, you know, what about this one, Ronda, Ru Ronda Rousey? Or, right. you know, what? I'm like, okay, like you want to talk about the outliers, but mm. just looking at the numbers. So the fastest man can run the 100-meter uh, dash at 10.25 uh, meters per second, right? The fastest woman runs it at 8.31 meters per second. The 2,000th fastest man runs faster than the fastest woman. Mm. So that's not to say women aren't as good. It's just at running, they're not as good, right? Like that's at this particular the way thing. This works, right. Right. That's the way it works. And it's the same thing. The gap is even bigger when you get into explosive movements like jumping and other things like that. So basically where we are now is is you do have transgender men or I get, would it be I don't, i'm so bad at this transgender women <laughs> You've got me, competing against right women like i don't know okay transgender people competing against women people who are biological men are now competing against women and, and they are dominating in instances and you can talk about outliers sometimes they don't win but as a whole as we see to be a man to have the bone density the muscle you have a distinctive advantage yeah. against a woman and so the next step now that we're, we're going towards is the Olympics. Um, I don't know if you knew this. I didn't Incredible. know this today. I honestly didn't know this today. And I'm, I'm in the world of media and, and all this information. But apparently it's already within the guidelines for transgender people to compete against women in the Olympics. I didn't know that. The only guideline is that you have to have a testosterone level at 10, whatever their measurement is, for 12 months. I did not know that. Mm. So theoretically in 2020, this year, we could see this exact thing playing out in the Olympics. It's amazing. I mean, someone once said to me, uh, you know, this could be the death of women's sports. And I said, look, don't try to convince me this is a good thing. I don't think it is. I mean, sure, if women's sports went away, we'd all celebrate. But <laughs> here, I think this is an actual problem because uh, this is such an issue that, that hits, I think, the average person in a different way. You know, we all look at this and I think people would say, oh, I work with someone who's transgendered or I work with someone who has a different preference or whatever. And they're great and I love them and it's, it's, it's wonderful. It's different when you go to a mom who's living in the suburbs and their daughter has worked their butt off to try to get on the volleyball team. And all of a sudden some dude comes in uh, and takes their spot. 
that is how they're going to view it. And that is, of course, what's actually happening here. Um, and that is something that I think is it just it violates the 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 human uh, desire for fairness. We want to be fair to other people. We want to be able to let, you know, let them go and do their thing. Um, but when you're going, you're doing something like that and you are eliminating a child's chance at playing a game that they love, a sport that they love, or maybe a chance to advance to college. This is something that's going to hit the average voter who has kids in a way that some of these other more, um, you know, obscure issues when you're coming to gender identity and all these things, they may not relate to the average person. But this is this is fundamental fairness. And it's obviously not fair to to the to the girls trying to play these sports. But the question is, is you know, when you have these bodies like the IOC of the Olympics or the NCAA, whatever it is, like if you have these bodies making these decisions based on their wokeness, they want to be as woke and as, you know, as accepting as possible. Mm-hmm. My fear is that people are too afraid to actually, like, I think you're right. I think vast majority of people are like, like, like me, like I, I have not, I, it's impossible that I'm not called a transphobe like after this, <laughs> right, but, right. <laughs> but I'm not like, I really, I couldn't care less. Like what people want to live as or identify. Like I really don't, it makes zero difference to me. I mean, I'm just honestly a little too disinterested. I, yeah. More than, more than like, anything else, I don't care. I just don't care what you're doing. Right. I don't care what I'm doing. You, you could come out as transgender right now and I'd be, I would just say oh, cool. I've already worn a tutu on television a like hundred times. So I'm there. I, I get it. So it's so that's the thing. But it, it's like when you when you really look at who is speaking out on the issue, like you have reasonable people, very reasonable people. I, there was some famous athlete. I can't remember her name now, but who spoke out and was destroyed, called transphobic. And the, the mob came at her like, you know, very viciously. So it's like people are afraid to talk about this issue. So my concern is that the NCAA already the Olympics are going to make these decisions and then there's going to be enough silence that women do get the short end of the stick. And it's, it's kind of interesting because it's like in this um, Olympics of victimhood, um, women are now kind of getting just, you know, they're kind yeah. of getting thrown to the side here. They're not even getting the bronze. They're, they're way down the list. They're way down yeah. the list now. And so they're having to suffer for that, that decision. And I feel for it. It's like, if you are transgender and you and you want to compete and you want to be with your identified sex, I get it. But mm. it's like life isn't fair sometimes, and we have to like the greater good does not you know justify discriminating. I think that's what really what progressivism is. It's like you forget about the individuals and you just think like ah well like some women are going to get screwed. Yeah, this woman's got second when she should have got first, but like the transgender person feels good. So like yeah, the greater good it's it's okay. That's a, it's true, and that's where we wind up uh, when we wind up going. It's, it's and it's not fair. Um, it's I don't think it's right. I mean, you you have a situation where people are trying to get navigate these impossible to navigate uh, waters. We're in a, we're in a place where there's a guy who is 38 years old and he's a former mayor of South Bend, Indiana. He is the closest that anyone has ever come to becoming the first gay president, and he's being protested at his events for not being gay enough. <laughs> This is not a sensible world we're it, living in. It never, like, it, the limit never, like, stops. Like, yeah. it just keeps going and going and going in terms of, like, how, how woke can we get? Yeah, you're never woke enough. How far can we take this thing? Um, it, it's, to me, right now, I, I think the transgender thing in sports is going to be that lightning rod issue that uh, dominates the conversation because... Um, no matter who you are, if you are against it, you are now part of the transphobe camp. And so, I mean, it's it's the issue that literally has made Joe Rogan 
you know, pretty yeah. much untouchable for like somebody like Bernie Sanders. Like he got destroyed even for getting an endorsement from Joe Rogan on on this main issue. Yeah. Uh, he's always ripped apart for this issue. So yeah. I, I, I want to, I just want to want fairness in sports, right? I want fairness and I want to treat people with, with respect, but the two things yeah. can go hand in hand. I mean, again, like the, the separation in sports is not, it's a biological separation. It's there to allow people of equal athletic ability, roughly, to compete with each other, right? That's why it's there. It's not a feelings thing. I remember Ellen describing it this way. They talked about, uh, you know, you're tr- transphobic, or, you know, people were transphobic, and they were, she's like, I tried to explain to people, like, your, you know, your sex is, is your, you know, your, your biological organs. Your gender is more like a feeling in your head. It's like, well, we're not dividing these sports up de- depending on what feeling you have in That's your head. That's a good point. It's a That's biological a uh, separation. And, that, and maybe that, and that seems like an easy answer. We're not, so we're not saying you're not a woman. We're saying that th- these are the sports. It's biological man. In fact, call it different names if you want to. Yeah. Rename <laughs> man and woman to whatever you want to make that the name yeah. for biological male and biological female, because that is what we're talking yeah, about. Because you know, it seems like we're just talking about two different things. Like, I am talking about a biological biological separation and these things there are certain things like bathrooms like sports that are separated for biological reasons for obvious ones your feelings are your feelings man go out and you know or lady whatever you want to do say this like like that sounds like the most logical thing you can say but we say this and i've had debates with people who have tried to argue with me that that biological sex isn't real like we we are in such a weird upside down world where it comes to gender and in, in, in science, like it's sometimes I feel like I'm going a little crazy, like a little nutty. Yeah. Because it's not like no. it's not like insane people. It's like people who are educated and have PhDs and mm-hmm. and all this stuff are, are, are basically rewriting the books. Yeah, it's, it's so much of this postmodernist sort of nightmare. Uh, and it kind of exists there. Before we go, did you notice uh, the transgender issue in the colony of cats that you lived with? Was that part of your experience? They. You know, cats are interesting in that, no, I don't. You know what? We're out of time. I'm so Thank sorry. You, I'm Jason Howerton. It's a good plug for the book. <laughs> it's you know, a, I'm sure you can go buy that at all the, Amazon the big sites and, and yeah. everything else uh, from theblaze.com, director of social media. Thanks for coming on the program. Back in a second. We live in a capitalist country, and you could tell, you could tell last night at the debates because there was so much energy when capitalism was mentioned. Listen to this applause. Um, I believe in capitalism, but I think our, the goal of someone in government and a president of the United States should be a check on that. Mm, it, was, it was riveting, I swear. Well, you know what? You're watching a capitalist show, a show that loves capitalism. So please uh, subscribe to The Blaze. BlazeTV.com is the place to go slash stew and use the promo code stew. You'll save 10 bucks. That's capitalism. Nancy Pelosi sucks pen. They're available at that website. Nancy Pelosi That's capitalism. In fact, if you want free capitalism, go to the YouTube page, subscribe, click the bell for all the reminders and such. Or, you know, if you're listening to podcasts right now, make sure you subscribe to podcast rate and review. I mean, the show, it's great. Whatever. We'll see you tomorrow.